some time out and uh, go into some Old Testament for a couple of weeks as I prepare for the letters to Timothy. So you're going to have a different flavor of things. Third John. Let's not forget that the reason that John wrote this letter is to correct a problem. So by the very nature that we have New Testament letters that correct problems, we need to remind ourselves that there are always going to be problems. Not just in life, but in the church. Anyone who thinks that the body of Christ is going to walk along all serendipity and excited and everything's going to be smooth, it's just a, it's just a fool's idea. Now, of course, in the fairy tales, it may be that way, but ultimately, the good news is that we're all God's people, but the bad news is, is that we're all people. We're people, and we're going to have disagreements. We're going to have misunderstandings. We're going to have knuckleheadedness. We're going to have sin. We're going to have wickedness. We're going to have false professors. That doesn't mean like people who shouldn't be teaching and don't know their subject, but people who profess a false gospel. And, and all of those things, whether it be, whether it be you know, a gross sin of Sexuality, whether it be robbery, whether it be hatred or murder, or whether it be false teaching, we address these things according to the prescription of the Bible. We don't get to determine how we handle things. We don't get to determine the timeline in which these things are done. The Scripture does these things. And when we decide that we know better, we actually, as I said for the last two weeks, we make ourselves God. We make ourselves out to be God. We make ourselves out to be like God because we in our wisdom and our experience know better. But beloved, as we've been in now two weeks on Wednesday night in the book of James, we know that wisdom is a very delicate flower. Wisdom is so delicate that I would so go, go so far to say that there's not a human being in the sound of my voice, including me, who even has the stem correct in the context of wisdom. That is why Paul tells the Corinthians that Christ alone is our wisdom. So as we look to how Christ acted, as we look to how Christ spoke, as we look to how Christ, most importantly, taught and commanded, therein then we see the apostolic succession of the Lord's ministry now written down for us to continue to seek after Christ as His people And beloved, I will tell you all day long, you need to seek after Christ. And that scares some people to hear that. But to be scared of that is nonsense. It's immaturity. I'm not telling the world to seek after Christ. I'm telling the church to seek after Christ. Because the world can only come to the Christ that they create. But the church can come to the true Christ and then seek after Him and long for Him and, and, and invest themselves in the lives of one another for the sake of Him. We need to do that in the good times and the bad times. And so when we come to this text and we see it, it's very difficult to say, well, where is all this application? Well, let's just take a moment. It takes wisdom. It takes wisdom in my mind, in the mind of the elders of this church, to say to ourselves, what is it that Grace Truth Church needs to know concerning this text? It doesn't mean that there's something here that someone else may not see, but there's so much here that we would never finish it. And we're not trying to finish any letter anyway, are we? We're trying to get familiar with these letters. We're trying to establish in our hearts and minds as a spiritual family the foundations of the teaching of God, which is the Bible, and that in our lives together, which is soon to be ten years as a body, for some of us, we have a foundation. And then we grow from that foundation. We continue to learn. When I teach myself something, and you notice how, that, how haughty that sounded, right? When I teach myself something, I feel like I know it, right? You ever gone to YouTube and found something on there? And I don't know how to do this. So you find a guy or a gal on YouTube, and they show you step by step, and you're like, now I know. Now I know. A couple of months later, you try to do it again, and you're like, not even close. I did not nail this. <laughs> it is not Right? So you have to find that expert again, and you look at them again and again and again and again and again. I cannot tell you how many years I have been shaving saxophone reeds and filing them. Years. Used to do it in my sleep. Used to do it in English literature class. (laughs) 
Why do you have a knife in class, son? I don't know. I got jazz rehearsal afterwards. This is almost right. But after a year of not doing it, I go, do I cut here? Do I cut here? You have to go back. The Bible is no different. We have to continue to go back. Because God has not granted us all wisdom and all knowledge and all discernment and all truth and all everything to stay with us all the time. We have to hold the Word of God in our hands. We have to hear it with our ears. We have to meditate on it with our minds. And we have to make sure that we hide it in our hearts. But the problem in the American church, of which we are part of, not holistically, but in the context of our proximity... We have adopted a lot of cultural ideologies from our, from our kinsmen. And that is, hiding the word of God in your heart is to memorize a bunch of Bible verses. That's the furthest from the truth. We don't need to memorize Bible verses. We need to know the essence of everything taught in every letter of the Bible. We need to know. Is it wrong to memorize? No, not at all. But so for some of us, that's as far as it goes. Everybody knows John 3.16. Every pagan knows John 3.16. Every heathen knows John 3.16. Every atheist knows John 3.16. Every Braves fan knows John 3.16. But they don't know 17, 18, 19. They don't know what Jesus has already said to Nicodemus. They don't know the context, so they don't know John 3.16. Therefore, when they have it in their hearts... They just make up what they think it says in context or application. So, beloved, we're together every Lord's Day that we may grow in our understanding of how to read the Bible, how to apply it, and how to live it. We need to learn it, not learn about it. We need to learn Him. And these letters are written for our good, for our correction. So any time that Grace Truth Church doesn't have a need for correction is the very first day of its demise. I'm going to say that again. The very first time that Grace Truth Church as a people are not in need of correction is the very first day of, of our demise. That means the Bible has no relevance to us anymore. That we've learned it all and that we've lived it all very well and that our doctrine is without error and that our hope is without doubt and that with our lifestyles are without hiccup. And we know what Jesus said through John's writing in his revelation to the church of Ephesus. We know what Jesus says. You know, you, you are pure in so many ways and you stand on the truth of the gospel. You have no problems whatsoever in your theology, but your love is gone. Your love for me is gone. Beloved, we can love the study of Christ more than Christ himself. I'm going to say that again. We can love the study of Christ more than Christ himself. And I will tell you, and my experience is of no consequence to you, but I've had doctoral professors who loved the study of Christ and were lost as a goat. As one of my mentors said years ago, lost as a ball in high weeds. You know, Didn't know where they were going, but they knew the material. Beloved, we need to intimately enter into the assembly, preparing to have correction, preparing to have encouragement, preparing to together walk in unity around the gospel. It's a given. And I'll be honest with you. Yes, I'm verbose. Yes, I can't explain the alphabet in 26 letters. I have to write 17 or 18 pages. I know that I have a problem. And there's nothing that's going to change that. And the older I get, the worse it gets. So if I were to write as an apostle, there would be a lot of, there would never be a problem of people not being able to sleep. I'll just read the book of Pastor James. You know, you ever been told that? Oh, you're going to read through the Bible, having problems sleeping? Just read numbers. You know, that doesn't make me fall asleep. I'm like, oh goodness, now I got to go look that up. Now I got to go look this up. Now I got to go figure out what's going on here. Now what's going on there? What's going on here? I mean, but some of us, you know, go read Leviticus. Man, that's, that's some gospel stuff in Leviticus. It's all over the place, you know. 
So when I think about John's letter, this third letter, he's already written his first epistle. He's already taught the churches under his care about the gospel. They know it. He's already instructed them about their foolishness and how they were acting inappropriately toward one another, how they were not loving one another, and he continued to harp on this reality. And then he wrote that general letter of 2 John to an ambiguous church, and these letters are circulating. Then he heard about Diotrephes, so he wrote, he wrote the church there about Diotrephes, and we know the context. Somehow, in some way, Diotrephes intercepted the letter of John. We don't know. We don't know. Maybe he took a job as the mailboy. I don't know. We just know he had turned the church upside down on its head. Now, when the church gets turned upside down on its head, when people are being excommunicated outside the authority of the elders, when people are being corrected and told to do certain things in the context of the local assembly and the whole church is not involved, and then people are fearful to say anything, fearful to follow anything, fearful to do anything because they don't want the backlash, don't you think that if the Apostle John were to write a letter about all of that, it should be a little longer? Don't you think it should be at least like Galatians, a little coarse? Paul's first letter, the letter to the region of, Galatians, of Galatia, Asia Minor, all the different churches in that region, I mean, it's a hard swallow. It's probably the harshest letter in the New Testament. People think, 1 John and James. No, James and 1 John are some of the sweetest encouragements to my soul. I am lifted in my... I am not rebuked and sat down. But beloved, I'm rebuked and sat down when I get to the first chapter of Galatians. And then made aware, wow, better pay attention to what Paul's got to say because he's being ugly. He's not being ugly. He's being firm like a father. Some of you dads, you ever had your children say, don't yell at me, and you weren't yelling. You're just being firm. I have a firm voice. I have a preacher. I have an open air street preaching voice. That's how I started. I have an open air. Starting reading scripture. In large places without microphones. That's why a monitor's necessary. Because you couldn't handle it. And my voice would leave. It really does. If I can't hear myself, I'm going to get louder and louder and louder. But we get into this place when I'm excited about things and my temperament and my personality is different than everybody else's so when I'm excited I'm talking excitedly when I'm being firm I'm being firm my face firm this is firm this is okay you know I don't want to see this again that's not anger it's not yelling so when my children have said that to me through the past don't yell at me I'm like I wasn't yelling would you like me to show you what yelling looks like have you ever been there parents there's this yelling. I mean, you know, oh, mommy, daddy's being mean. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm not being mean, but I'll show you what being mean looks like. I mean, John, come on, yell a little bit. What's wrong with you, messenger of God, according to the riches of the grace of God's glory in Christ alone? Why are you not yelling? Why are you not making a fuss? Why are you not kicking rocks? Why are you not throwing, uh, throwing shade? Why are you not putting people in their place? Because he's an apostle of God and God Almighty did not endorse or ordain that kind of behavior from any man of God. That's why Paul took seven, eight, nine, ten months to write the letter to Galatia. There's nothing hasty in shepherding God's people. And when we act out of shortness, we are nothing but a puppet with the devil's hand doing this 1,000% of the time. We take our cues from the Lord and we take the Lord's cues from his apostles in their writing only. Now, Why in the world are you talking about this? Because this is what John is doing. John is rebuking Diotrephes to a man named Gaius because Gaius is doing the work of the ministry as is prescribed by the scripture through the teaching of the apostles and Diotrephes is trying his best to stop him. And Diotrephes does not have that authority nor is he correct in his estimations and judgments. 
But Diotrephes would go back to 2 John. And Diotrephes would go back to 2 John and say, Nope, 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 I'm correct in my observations, and I'm correct in my application. Because if we greet anyone, whoever abides in, uh, you know, teaching in the teaching of Christ abides with God and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not mocking the Lord's word. I'm mocking Diotrephes. The devil always, let me show you this. The devil always uses scripture to prove his point to the people of God. The devil always uses his puppets to come in with scripture to say, this is the Lord's word. In Genesis chapter 1, the enemy came into the garden using the word of God against God's people. Beloved, I think 3 John is one of the most powerful pastoral letters I've ever read in my life. Because of what's not there. Because of the simplistic way in which John, and this is, let me tell you something, y'all don't know. You don't know. You may say you know you don't know how hard it is to bear the burdens of people. A war zone, an attack, a car accident, a street brawl. You ever been shot at? I've been shot at. You ever had a gun put in your face? I've had a gun put in my face. You ever been beat up? Many times over. And that was not in Kung Fu class. Those are nothing compared to the spiritual burden of laboring over the joy of God's people. Nothing. Because I know and I'm trained and I have understanding of how to handle some of these things. It takes great wisdom to handle what God has put on the overseers of his body. And that's not a whining session. It's just an observation. It's just a simple truth. And I'll tell you, beloved, I labor to the fault, to the fault, to the fault of my home, to the fault of my health, to the fault of everything and every fiber of my being, I labor wrongly and sinfully and doubtfully over the intimacy of this family. And so when Third John comes along, and it's just a note, I thought, John is focusing on that which is happening. He is focusing on that which is positive. He is focusing on that which is absolutely encouraging. He is praising God for the whole shebang. And he is established in his heart by the Spirit of God the very thing that he can control, which is to thank God for the ones who are being faithful to the church. And he's not ignoring Diotrephes, but it's not gayest business how John's going to deal with Diotrephes. That's busybody gossip. You see? Think about the, the reality of what marriage is in the context of the, of the gospel. And I think about what some people would, would do. And I've had it happen to me, beloved. I'm going to tell you. I've had people come up to me in the body and try to tell me what's really happening with my family. Seeing us 60 minutes a week, and they're going to tell me what's really going on in my household. And two things that I've responded to in that over the years. You planting cameras in my house? Or is God giving you the divine eye of prophecy? Because if neither one of those two are true, you are dumb as a bag of potato chips and don't know what you're talking about, you see? Now, I don't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm just being honest. What I want to say is ungodly. What I want to say is ungodly. And that, imagine someone coming up to you and telling you, husband, how you ought to be doing to make your wife the person they think she ought to be. Or wives, what you need to be doing to make sure your husband is the man he ought to be. Not from the word of God as an encouragement generally, but specifically. I've noticed. You ever heard that? You ever heard somebody say, I've noticed. And that's a comedy sketch coming out. I could just goose sideline stand up right here. And you know we laugh at that which hurts us most. I've noticed. 
that your husband comes in late to church every week. And I tell you, a godly man ought not be doing that. He does not set a good example here in a church for our ladies. Well, why don't you stop looking at my husband? That's what you should say. And once you stop looking for you see what I mean? This is the kind of demonic stuff that's going on in the church. The subtle things. And if I were to respond to these things, oh my goodness, beloved, this letter encourages me because John just deals with the positive of what the church is doing and he addresses the negative and he is going to address it when he gets there. It doesn't have to be fixed. In a month, a year, two years, ten years, decade, a lifetime until God Almighty gives John the wisdom to deal with the issue outside of his fleshliness. Because I will promise you all something. Let me, let me just be very candid with you. If any of you ever see me in my fleshliness, I will never stand in this pulpit again. I could never in good conscience ever stand in this pulpit again. I would delete my social media pages. I would delete every sermon I've ever preached. And I would wipe myself from the entirety of the world of ministry. Because once you see that ugly, you can never unsee it. Now, the Bible doesn't say that when a man fails that way, he should be out of the ministry. That's my conviction because I know the ugly. And if I ever act in the flesh... so. I'm encouraged by John and his patience because I'm not a patient person. I'm not a patient person. Many of you aren't patient people, right? I'm not a patient person. Some of you are not patient. Some of you are so patient. Like, Are you not upset about this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I had a friend back in, the, in, in 1996, actually. And his name was Morris. And Morris got really upset at somebody one time. And he comes in there, and he hasn't changed. His facial expression hasn't changed. And he just, somebody just cussed him out, and he walked back in there. I said, Marshall, he says, James, I'm, I'm mad. I'm very, very mad. You mad? <laughs> you calling yourself mad now? I mean, yeah, I'm just angry. I could just kill somebody right now. I mean, just so, I'm so angry. What you doing for lunch? I mean, you know, I'm going, dude, that's amazing. How do you do that? Well, I just, I just learned not to just not get upset, but I'm very mad. When I'm mad, I don't hide it. I hide. Because the boogeyman comes out. See? Oh, the Bible says pastors should not be given under rage and anger. Absolutely. That's why I avoid it. And the qualifications for the elders are equal qualifications for a church member. The elders have to exemplify those things. Live them out before the church. But the church is equally obligated to be in like manner as an elder is. See, So before we throw rocks, let's put them in our pockets and walk around with them for a little while. See how good our belts work. You see? John... Is an amazing apostle. I don't want to praise John, but it's one of the things that I love about John. He is so humble. And it's what I've always prayed, that the Spirit would give us humility in all things. And, and, and yes, it's not going to make correction better. Nobody, even in the most humble ways, likes to be corrected, do they? They don't like it. It's not fun. Oh, here comes my daddy. I'm in trouble. I'm so glad. No, we hide. I mean, how many TikTok videos or YouTube videos or, uh, or, or Facebook videos have we seen where kids are kicking the ball or hitting the golf ball and it goes through the plate grass window and everybody runs? Where are you going? Where are you running to? The ball didn't fly through the window. It's your ball. You were in the yard and it's on video. You were live streaming, dummy. You're going to get caught. Mama's coming. Daddy's going to be home in a little bit and you're going to answer for it. Nobody is excited about that. But yet, if we look back and we look at real correction, we look at real encouragement, we look at real direction, the, 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 the blanket word for that is discipline. When we look at real discipline, it is always and at all times, if it is biblical, loving. Because what's the antithesis of discipline, of correction? Justice. Recompense. Wrath. 
But Christ has taken the recompense of the Father for his people. Christ has taken the wrath of God the Father for his people. Christ has taken the justice for his people so that we can just receive discipline. If we are not God's children, we will not be corrected. If we are not God's church, we will not be corrected. If we are not the church of the New Testament, we will not read correction from the Word of God. And I've said this a thousand times if I've said it once. And I've said that a thousand times if I've said it twice. That there are many people who love to hear good preaching but don't want shepherding. And if you don't want shepherding, you can't be here. You can't be with us. If I don't want accountability to my wife, then I can't be her husband. If my children are not willing to be submissive to me, they can't stay in my house. You see? If we aren't willing to what? To be encouraged and corrected and to be shepherded and to be not given unto busybody. But if we're not willing that the Word of God teach us the right way, then we have no business together. We have no business together. I can just create theological expositions only and put them on YouTube and we can watch them at our leisure. We don't need each other, see. But we need each other, beloved. We take the Lord's table every week as a practice in this church and it's so good to be able to bring that back because it was one of the things that we missed so deeply during the, the pandemic. Not just the fact we weren't together, but the fact that we could not take the Lord's table together. But that is a reminder that Christ has given himself up for his bride. So there's one of the simple applications and one of the simple implications of the gospel of free and sovereign grace is that we are together as a people. We are one body and there's not one person in the family of faith here known as grace truth who is more important than another. There is not one person whose needs are not as important as the others. But at no time should our needs in our own heart and mind be more important than the guy next to us. And so if we learn these principles, if we learn to be corrected, if we learn these things through time and are patient with one another, we all will grow and to understand life together as the body, as the church. But see, the world in which we live, there's no culture that I know right now, and I don't know every culture, but there's no culture that I know or am familiar with that has true ecclesiology right and ecclesiology is the you know the doctrine of the church the teaching of what the church is the assembly life together koinonia fellowship you know you ask the most you ask most american christian what's fellowship well we got a potluck on sunday afternoon well can fellowship happen at a potluck yeah but fellowship can happen in a parking lot and fellowship can happen on a telephone call and fellowship can happen in a home and fellowship can happen at the grocery store and fellowship can happen the the the, the question is is it intimate and is it, is, it, is it intentional around the gospel? Are we looking to meet each other's needs while never laying down the necessity of teaching the gospel to one another, see? Of helping each other. And it may be wrong, but for me in my life, I, I have always, and I wasn't taught this, it just sort of came naturally for me because I was an inquisitive person, but I've always asked questions. So some of you philosophers out there, you would say, well, you know, the Socratic method of inquiry, the Socratic method of teaching. And then I look at Paul and I see Paul and he, he rhetorically writes question after question after question after question after question after question. And Peter infuses questions. James, what causes quarrels and fights among you? So I've learned to just sort of mimic that and in turn it works well because it's a very... It's, it, it's, an, it's a lighter sense in which we can communicate intimately, especially on negative things and correction. And, you know, John doesn't do that. He just gets straight to the point. This is the point. This is happening. We'll deal with it when I get there. But let's go to that for a second. Let's go to verse 9 through the end and... I've been talking about this text, but as you see, there's not a whole lot. We have to pull some things out here. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. 
And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want and puts them out of the church. Who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil is not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. I've already talked about this. You know, we've been preaching through the same text for several weeks. And we see this continued thing. And it's funny, isn't it, that we like to emphasize the negative. I said this last week. We love the negation. We love the negative. We love the antithesis. We love to pump up the problem. And in doing so, we make the problem bigger than the point. John doesn't do that, does he? John gives a clear, clear thankfulness, statement of thankfulness that he is glad and he prays for the church. He's including diatrophies in that prayer. Then he commends Gaius for what he's done. Then he condemns diatrophies for what he's doing. And then he says he'll fix it when he gets there. Right now, the point of John and the point of the church is not to fix every problem because not every problem is fixable. Some people refuse correction. But sometimes we put the correction ahead of the ministry. Sometimes we put the correction ahead of the unity. Sometimes we put the correction ahead of the intimacy. And so the preaching and the teaching and the life together and the ministry of the saints is derailed because everybody's looking at the problem, waiting on the problem. We can't do anything until the problem's done. Well, now what's the big problem? Now everybody in the church is equally in sin because we're all waiting. Remember the Thessalonians? You don't get to get off the hook to not do what's required of you because you want to see a problem fixed. That's wicked. Well, little Johnny wrote on the wall, and until your daddy gets home, I'm not cooking food. And you're going to sit right there what are you doing, kids? Turn the TV off. We're all going to sit right here until this problem's solved. Three days later, what are we going to do about this problem? How about you just wipe off the wall and get on with your life? You see that? You think I'm making that up? Just read the New Testament, people. It is the absolute mathematical prescription. It is the one plus one. It is what the Bible commands of us. We will deal with these things, but we are focusing what is he focusing on the fact that Gaius is doing the work that Diotrephes is trying to hinder we need the work to be done we need ministry to take place we need teaching to to happen we need uh, needs to be met we need prayers to be prayed we need worship to be done and anyone who cannot worship with the saints because of their focus on a problem is the problem when there are true saints present and the true gospel is present And that might offend some of your conscience, which is not of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, correction, correct? Correction. Why? Because we have so much to do. One of the biggest problems that I have as a pastor is that I think it's my job to do it. It's my job to teach you to do it. Ta da! And you think after 22 years, I would know that by now. Well, I know it, but I haven't come to know it. I'm Superman. We think we've got it all on our own plates. And it's interesting that 99% of everything that I put out on social media is just a notepad of the things that I think about relating to my own life and ministry. And my grandmother Tippins used to always say, a hit dog always hollers, son. And if you don't know what that wisdom means, that means you know when a dog's been hit by a car because it yelps. <laughs> or been hit by a limb or a brush or a switch. It yelps. Don't call PETA. We're not beating dogs around here. It's just an expression. And people and their blind idols, when we step on those idols... 
You realize idols are deceiving. We don't have a secret compartment of idols. <laughs> Hope the church doesn't see my idols. Look at all these idols. No. All the idols we're calling Christian work. Gospel ministry. Godly things. We think they're godly. That's the whole point. Well, the Pharisees, they thought their stuff was godly. They thought they were honoring God. What did the apostles say? People will take you and kill you thinking they're doing the Lord's service. Nobody in the Bible thought they were doing the devil's work. They all thought they were doing the work of God Almighty. And they were using the Bible a thousand percent of the time, every time in their pretext, with their own assumptions, with their own misjudgments, with their own fleshly conscience. And they were making these judgments and they were doing it. John knows this is what's happening with diatrophies, but John says, I'll bring it up if I come. Right now, I want the ministry of the gospel to continue. Diotrephes is just a fool and he's going to get what's coming to him eventually. But right now, we cannot halt God Almighty's work in the body for the sake of this one knucklehead who is turning it upside down. Because typically, how would you handle that? How would you handle somebody like Diotrephes? What does the scripture say? It's not a Matthew 18 issue. But even if you followed Matthew 18, it comes to the same result, don't we? We sit down and say, correct this behavior, then we can deal with this issue. Diotrephes had a conscious objection for helping people who were preaching the gospel. Because he probably misinterpreted 2 John. That's my assumption. And he was so fearful of disobeying 2 John that he even now, when John came back and says, no, you got to do this, what did he do? He, he, he usurped the authority of the apostles. And the very thing that he was trying to hold to, saying he was honoring God through the apostles, he said what? I, don't, I no longer acknowledge the apostles' authority. So I'm going to live by the standard that the Apostle John wrote to me, but I'm not going to live by the standard of Apostle John anymore that he wrote this time. You know what that's called? Stupid. And you know who are guilty of it? We all are. It's placating in our own brains to like what we like and to dislike what we dislike, to affirm what we like, and when that thing that we affirm and like doesn't agree with us completely on certain things, or even see eye to eye in the way we're trying to speak, we begin to throw the whole thing out. I'm a, I'm a fool about carpets and floors and stains. And I will throw a rug away if I can't get a stain out of it. I can't look at it. I t- I'm sorry. I tell you, one day they're going to drive up here and get me while I'm talking. But sometimes I can see in my own life where I will throw, I will burn the entire house down because of a stain on the rug. You ever been there? You walk into a house and all you can see is the stain. You walk into, you know, something. I mean, there, there are places and I renovated my house eight, nine years ago and it was in bad shape. It's a 126-year-old house and it was a lot of work to do and we worked very hard. And there are some things inside the walls of that house that I just let go. One specifically is when I put my gun safe into my study. There were five or six of us. I think my brother was there that day. And, you know, we took it off the trailer and it sunk that far into the grass out front. We're like, oh, we're in trouble. (laughs) We're in trouble. And it put a little divot in the pine floor. And then when I got into the back of it and we laid it back, my back hit the wall. And behind my safe that weighs 1,500 pounds is a hairline crack that long in my sheetrock and every time I walk into my study I go I hate this place that crack in the wall I can't even see I can't physically see it there's no way for me to even look at it I can't see it it's no structural problem it's just a crack in the sheetrock guess what there's a crack in the sheetrock in my bedroom now up at the ceiling at the 9 to 10 foot level because the house is old and it settles yeah that doesn't bother me. That's just natural. But I broke the back. You know, we got to fix this. You see how silly that is? But that's exactly how some of us are. We can't get past. Well, let's just do it this way from the positive. We can't get to the instruction of the Scripture because we can't get over ourselves. And beloved, I can't get over myself. It doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be fixed. It doesn't mean the doctrine isn't causing havoc. 
But, beloved, the question is, what does the Scripture teach us to do with people like Diotrephes? Well, the Scripture says that the church comes together and the church talks about Diotrephes and the church corrects Diotrephes after he has been tried to be corrected. So if we follow Matthew 18, we see that we're to go and to talk. And and what's the time frame between these things? I don't know. But the Bible teaches us that love believes all things. What did you mean when you said that? What did you mean when you did that? Why did you do that? Did you know you hurt my feelings when you did those things? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's the end of it. Well, five months later, I saw it again. What did you see again? That's a record of wrong. That's a record of wrong. Do you want a record of wrongs kept for you? I don't. The Bible says there's no record of wrong. Do you know God has no record of wrongs? James Tippins is justified before the Father as a holy and righteous man, perfect in all his ways, walking in a manner congruent with the very righteousness of God himself. How is that? Because my righteousness is not my own. It is an alien righteousness. It is a righteousness credited to me graciously for the sake of God's promise where did it come from it's Jesus himself God is not tricked he is not he is not I know the truth but oh well we're not covering up the we're not putting a safe in front of the crack Jesus isn't the safe Jesus was crushed for our iniquities He was destroyed. He was put forth by God the Father to satisfy His wrath. The wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ, beloved. For every sin of every elect person who will ever live and ever have lived, Jesus Christ paid it in full. When I try to explain this to my kids, when they're younger, they don't get it because they don't understand debt. But by the time they're four or five years old, they understand debt very well. And they learn that lesson the hard way. Because we let them go in debt with us. I want to buy this. You don't have enough money. You want to go on credit? Yes. But it's not a revolving account. It's a, you have to pay it off before you can use it again type thing. So those five or six weeks or months, they just burn. And Abigail's learned hard. Uh, no. <laughs> I'll just say. But if Abigail owes me $30 and her granddaddy pays me $30 and said, just pay off her account, does Abigail owe me $30? No. Because the debt's been paid. Jesus paid the debt of his people. We talk about John's gospel and we love, 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 love to hear the truth of the gospel, as we should. And we forget that John says, the, 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 God the Spirit says through his evangelist, in John 1, he says in verse 14 that the Word, the living God of the creation, the creator of all things, the creator of life, who is the light of creation, the whole reality of the fall of the enemy and creation and the Sabbath rest and all of these things, this is all part of election. This is all part of sovereign grace. It's a picture. Became flesh. This God became flesh and dwelled among us and in the visible reality divinely granted when we see Jesus Christ we see the fullness of all that God ever has revealed concerning himself that's what glory means to see God's glory is to see God in all that he is all that he will ever show us And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. For from His fullness we have all received. What does it say? What does verse 16 of John 1 say? You want to memorize a verse? Memorize that one. John 1.16 says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Seeing Christ by the Spirit of God is to see God Himself in all that He is and everything that He wants you to know concerning Him and everything related to what He is and who He is has everything to do with Him saving His people by Himself. Are you listening? The false Christianity of our culture would make this a very personal message. And not that it's not personal, but it would make it such a personal message that it would de-emphasize us. Jesus saved you. Jesus saved us. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed in the church to Satan and the fallen angels. The devil knows that God is successful in redemption and revealing himself for who he really is, even though he will accuse us all. And rightly so, we are sinners. But that sin has been paid through Christ. So, beloved, everything rises and falls in the display of God's glory in this life by how we maintain reconciliation amongst each other. And Paul would say, as long as it is up to you. See, here, wherever this church is, Diotrephes has done such a stinky job of keeping things... (laughs) or he's done such a good job of keeping things stinky, that the whole of the church has now fallen in line either by fear or by fellowship with him in their practice. And John's like, this cat is doing evil. This cat is doing that which is not biblical. This person is starting stuff, dealing with things, not listening to the apostles' teaching. That's really the problem. It wasn't the fact that he did something wrong. It was the fact that he refused correction. You understand that? Diotrephes refused correction. He likes to put himself first. What does it mean to put yourself first? We've talked about this. It's my way, my thoughts, my understanding, my explanation, my desires, my stuff, my church, my ministry, my interpretation. Beloved, that's, that's not okay. That's not gospel. puts himself first, and does not acknowledge our authority. So when people came up to Diotrephes and said, you know, John's already written about how we deal with these things. This is not exactly what he meant. Instead of saying, okay, I submit to the writing of John, Diotrephes said, well, who is John? He's wrong. John's not wrong. The Word of God is not wrong. And beloved, it doesn't, the letters don't need interpreting. You don't have to interpret, you don't have to interpret a recipe. Well, did he really mean a half a teaspoon? Or is that one or two teaspoons? <laughs> did he really mean chopped spinach, or could we just put the whole leaf in there? I don't know. You want spinach dip with a leaf in it? Now look at this spinach dip. You ever eaten a spinach salad with the leaves not chopped up? And it's big, not baby spinach, big spinach. You look like a cow. Trying to put that thing in there. You don't have to interpret it. You just do it. You just follow it. Then this, then this, then this. And the most tricky thing about a recipe is there is some preparation. And maybe you have to preheat the oven. (laughs) Or maybe you have to prepare something else ahead of time and chill it. I don't know. I don't cook. My wife dies. We're eating Subway for the next of our lives, rest of our lives. Or baloney. But Dodger, he says, I don't care what John has to say. 
I don't care what John has to say. I don't care what the apostles have to say. And he got that so much that he began to say to others nonsense, wicked nonsense about them. Wicked nonsense. Assumptions. That turn. What happens when we assume? Assume. We put ourselves first. Our ideas and thoughts come out of our mouths. And that's putting ourselves first. And then when... We're so certain of them, right? It's not like we're intending to be wrong, but we think we're right. And we put these things out of our mouths. Other people hear them, and then they make judgments, and then they get concerned, and then they begin to say, okay, I'm going to agree with that or not agree with that. Very few people are like my friend Morris and go, hmm, yeah, that's bad. That's real bad. No, we usually fall into one category. We either agree or disagree, and then we divide. And then Diotrephes would hear, and people would say, well, you know, John, well, I, don't, I think John's this, and I think John's that, and I'm assuming that John is this, and then all of a sudden those assumptions and those accusations became truth to him. And those assumptions and accusations then, become, then wrote itself into a narrative that was not true at all because of what? How he processed what he was doing and justified himself before the church and before God in his own conscience. Beloved, that's exactly what every one of us do. And John says, I'll bring this up when I get there. Now, the cool thing about it is we can stop and we can take ourselves and put and go back 2,000 years and say, well, you know, that would be cool if John or Peter or Paul or somebody would, you know, it would be, it would be Peter. I mean, it would be Paul for us. And he goes over there and starts knocking on the door. and Oh, hey, Paul, how's it going? Yeah, man, um, when you get through, I need a few minutes. And I have to give it to him, right? No other place in the world, no other time in the world that anybody had that kind of authority to come into a local assembly and shut down the elders and say, I need a few minutes. Nobody in the world has that authority but an apostle and another elder, you know, in the local assembly. I need to say some things to the church. So when we sit down and imagine Paul saying... Well, there's a problem here, and all of you know about the problem because you've witnessed the problem. Not that you've been told about it. You've been told about a problem, you're a murderer because you listen to the gossip. And if you told the problem that wasn't witnessed, then you are also a murderer because you've told the gossip. But it's true. Gossip is gossip. Because here's what happens. Somebody does something to me, I go home and whine and cry to my wife, because she's always got my back. She's always got I don't care if I'm in the wrong. Well, they should have been in your way. <laughs> you have a right to slap them. And then I reconcile with that person. And then three weeks later, hey, I'm going to lunch with John. <gasps> After all he did. Oh, yeah, we're cool now. She's not cool. She didn't reconcile with John. You see how that's destructive. So there's no room for the Lord to fix anything when I've told everybody everything. Because now I've got to go back and ungossip everything. And then I'm gossiping again. And I'm just like, what am I going to do? Diotrephes has ruined this congregation. And John's like, I'll deal with it. Now some people might say, well, how do we have the apostles show up? They're here now. John is interrupting my teaching for this special announcement. He will not acknowledge our authority, so if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. John has just interrupted my commentary. The apostle has just tapped on the door and said, man, i got a few things to say. So the apostles still hold the authority over the church through the written word. You see that? No matter who teaches it, lost men should be left alone when they teach the gospel. Don't worry about their lostness. If the gospel's true out of their mouths or their charlatans getting rich off the gospel, let it be. It's not our job to deal with that. That's God's sovereignty at work right there. That through Balaam's ass comes prophecy. Oh, donkey. That through a bush comes the word of God. Quit trying to put the fire out. See, that's what. <laughs> there's a fire. Oh. And I could see Hollywood having a fun time with that in a comical way. 
But people who were saying, well, I'm just going to do what's right, Diotrephes was stopping them. Gaius went against all odds to do what was right. He, he had more intention to do what was right and to continue to do the work of the ministry instead of bothering himself with trying to fix Diotrephes or fix the church. That's not his job. The Word of God does that. And the elders oversee that. And I don't like it. I wish John would just come on back. And I could just sit down and just bask and be corrected myself. Well, he can. The Lord has spoken. And we can rest in it. Don't imitate evil, but imitate good. Because we know that those who are doing good, they are doing the Lord's work. They have been sent by God. But those who are not doing good, they are not sent by God. They don't know Him. They don't understand Him. Diotrephes, though he was not a lost man, was in a position to where nothing he said or did should be listened to because of how he was destroying the fabric of gospel intimacy. And the testimony of Demetrius has told us what you've been doing. You notice Demetrius goes to John and says, Guys, you will not believe what's going on. Let's just call it... Let's just call it Simple Town. Demetrius goes and says, You won't believe, John, what's going on in Simple Town. You know the church where Diotrephes is and all that trouble? Oh, yeah. How's it going, John asks. Man, we went there and we were expecting to really starve to death. We didn't know what we were going to do. We were rationing our food and water on the way because we had heard that when we get to simple town that Diotrephes was going to kick us on right out but you know what there was a guy that met us on the outskirts of town named Gaius and he brought us in he brought he gave us food and he gave us shelter and a lot of people were nosy and they were sticking there Gaius why are you buying bottled water <laughs> Gaius what, what's those little love offering baskets for I, you know I've noticed and Demetrius gave the praise report of what Gaius was doing, not the complaint of what Diotrephes was doing, because why? Beloved, we see what we're prepared to see. And we can find what we're looking for. Don't believe me? Go to law school. I promise you. You can, you know, you can learn to take and make the lie work. You can try to say, this is the outcome I want. Let me take the narrative, not fabricate it, but let me take the pieces of this narrative to put together to make a straight line that gives me what I'm looking for. That's what we do in our flesh, rather than just being submissive willfully and simply to the Scripture. Beloved, don't do that to yourself. It is not joy. If you are fearful... If you are suspicious, if you are worried, if you are scared, if you are upset and uptight, and you're, that is not of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not give you fear when He says, I am the sovereign God Almighty. Rest. And the Lord will work these things out to His glory. He is working these things out in our lives right now, no matter what it be. And I don't know. I'm not looking out there going, I'm talking about you. I mean, I don't know what's going on in all of our lives. I don't know what you're fearful of. I don't know what your worries and your burdens are. It may be in the context of the church. It may be in a relationship. It may be in the sense of, of your own health. It may be something that doesn't know. It may be your future. Maybe you're scared to death. You don't know what tomorrow brings. But you do know what tomorrow brings because the Bible has already said, don't worry about yesterday and don't worry about tomorrow. Now is the day that you've been given and Christ is still on the throne of glory and you are seated in the heavenlies with Him, beloved. So let's encourage each other in these truths. And that is our job as a people to maintain this sense and this pulse of joyousness. How can we be joyous in the midst? If we can't be joyous in the midst of things, then why in the world do we even come together? That's why it's so easy for unconverted people to gather in the name of a false Christ and encourage each other to put forth a good effort to make things better. You know, Things are not always going to be better, but they can always be joyful. 
And I think I read 1 Peter last week. If not, I read it Wednesday night. I don't know. All this is running together right now. I feel like I'm preaching James and 3 John. But they do collide. I mean, there's, the Word of God does collide. And this testimony of, of the Scripture teaches us where we should really emphasize our, our time and put our focus. And that is on what is doing well in gospel ministry. We don't ignore issues, but we don't make them the issues. You see, don't hear what I'm not saying, because a lot of times people think that of me. But beloved, I cannot get excited about things. I cannot be fleshly. I've already given that warning. If I ever become fleshly, I will never stand here again. And that is not hyperbole. I am not. That You can't put that ugly back in the bottle. It's hard. In 2001, at a meeting, demonic meeting, I hit my hand on the table. I might have told you all that story one time. It took five years before those people ever respected me again. Because it's ugly. I have the ability to look at people and make them cry. It's like Medusa. Instead of stone, you just weep. <laughs> Most of them are my children and my wife. Why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> you see? There's, there's things that if we know we do in sin, we should not do them. God will never lead us into temptation. He will never tempt us. But beloved, our flesh loves certain things that keep us riled up. Being riled up is not of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is never found in the Bible. The Spirit is the Spirit of riled up. Zeal. Excitement. Fear, frustration, envy. No, those are the things we're to put down. We're to rest. We're to rest. And the preaching of this letter is just the beginning. The preaching of the Bible is just the, is just the catalyst. It, it sparks the fire and then the Spirit of God fans into flame all of these good deposits, as Paul would tell Timothy later. And there's a context there that's not what I was just talking about. But beloved, until that time comes, we are able to just... Sit still and know that God is God and know that He has all of this in, for, in His hands for our good, whatever it may be. So do not let this weariness overtake you. You can't stop it, right? I have been very weary this year, many times over. Last year as well. Many things. And many times I think, I just want to just disappear. I want to leave the world. You ever felt that way? I just want to leave the world. I don't want to die because that would be too good. I don't, you know. I just want to vanish. Mission field, West Africa. That sounds good. You know good and well I'd be miserable over there. How many stains are on the carpets there? No carpets. No floors. No stain. Nothing to stain with. Dry air. <laughs> I mean, nah. But you, many of you, without even your knowledge, you have encouraged me to continue in the path, to continue in the faith. And I pray that I have also and we together have encouraged one another. It is what we're all about. And encouragement is necessary in times of discouragement. Strength and strengthening one another is necessary in times of weakness. Correction is necessary in times of sin. Truth is necessary sometimes because there is error. So let us just receive one another in that line. Let us receive one another as if we really do love each other. As if when someone asks a question or inquires, let it be from a loving inquiry. Not a witch hunt. 
Let it be from a position of grace, not of hatred. And let us all be patient and rejoice because Christ has shed his body, has shed his blood for us, for us, his children. Let's pray. Father, we do know that the testimony of John is true. For he gives us the testimony of your son as you have given it. Father, we know that because the gospel is true by their hand, they have written it for our salvation and for your glory and for our growth and joy. That we can trust the other things that they write too as from your hand and for our good, and for our joy, and for your glory. Lord, help these little things and phrases not to be cliche bumper stickers in the life that we live, but Father, let them be the bedrock of everything that we are, so that we could truly, joyously be at peace, that we would not worry Even when we have burdens and concerns, Lord, let them not turn to worry and fear. Help us to walk together intimately as we help each other. Lord, there is no expert amongst your people. And so we yield to your word. And sometimes, Father, that word comes through the least likely of saints. Sometimes it comes through the babes. And sometimes it comes through the elders. So help us to be discerning, to hear the word when it comes, that we have already been given ears to hear your voice. So, Lord, let us not turn a deaf ear when it doesn't suit our fancy. And, Father, we don't know anything about what happened with Diotrephes, but, Lord, we know that John's biggest desire was to correct him, not destroy him, not to excommunicate him, but to just bring it up so that he could be restored and that the people of that church would be in unity again, not only in the gospel, most importantly, but also together in love and unity because of Christ. And so, Father, let us keep that top of mind forever before us by your grace alone to us. In Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for the Lord's table.